I'm Taylor Onion, and you're listening to The Bloom Pod, the show where we use the power of storytelling to share the insights of entrepreneurs, educators, and sports professionals who are chasing big dreams. We spend time asking guests about the experiences they've had that have helped them bloom into who they are today. Today's guest is a former coach, an author, and a sports leadership consultant. Please enjoy our conversation with Matthew Raidbard. Right. Awesome. Well, Matthew, uh, like I just said, this is, has been uh, another one of those that seems like it's been kind of a long time coming. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to having you on today, getting to, to know you a little bit better. I feel like we've been uh, going back and forth on, on LinkedIn and email for a little while now. So uh, excited to, to have you on. I would love to just kick things off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, really glad we can do this. Uh, it's been a little while, but excited to be on and talking with you. Um, you know, for me, I- I've been in college athletics my entire career. I started out as a-, a men's college basketball coach. That was my dream. That's all I ever wanted to do growing up was be a, a college basketball coach. So I was really fortunate to have that opportunity to uh, live that dream and do it at a few institutions for a while. Um and then when that was kind of, you know, winding down, I, I got really lucky to be able to stay in college athletics and transition into administration, um, which has been really awesome staying in college athletics, working with our coaches and athletes. So I've been doing that since I left coaching and it's just been really fun and rewarding and just being a part of this changing college athletics landscape. Yes, definitely a bunch of changes. Uh, and I want to get into those in, in just a second because have coming from a compliance side of things, you have surely an interesting viewpoint of, of the landscape of college athletics right now. But I would love to know. So I saw, you know, at one point in intramurals, then moving into the basketball space as a coach, and then obviously moving into compliance as more of an administrator. What kind of prompted you to make those those moves? So from intramurals, that's obviously the more of a campus rec side into coaching, which is more in the, the athletic side and then, you know, into an administrative space as well. So just curious to know what led you to, to make those changes. Yeah. You know, when I, when I got my first coaching job at Western New Mexico university, it's, it's a small division two school down in the Southwest corner of New Mexico. And, uh, you know, you had to wear a lot of hats. Uh, you know, I had, uh, in addition to coaching, I, you know, did intramurals, I drove the bus, I did game operations, uh, I got, you know, just really full experience there. And it was really important for me. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to break in, which I'm, which I'm forever grateful for. But it also taught me a lot about what it meant to be a part of a team in an athletic department, not just a team in basketball. Uh, and that was really important for me. It's also kind of set a mentality that I've always had, you know, of being the one who volunteers for everything, being the one who's not going to ask anybody to do things that I wouldn't do myself. Um, you know, being comfortable wearing a lot of different hats, that's really helped me in my career. Um, so that was something where I, you know, I was able to do that for a little while, um, learn a lot about coaching and a lot about being part of athletic department and then transition and into more of a full-time the next few stops, Dartmouth college, Florida, Gulf coast, Chicago state. Um, and while I was at Chicago state, I was there for eight years and towards the end of our run, when I kind of saw my coaching might be winding down. I had the opportunity to step into a dual role in administration and kind of try it on. And, you know, I was a little apprehensive at first, but what I, I realized was that, you know, the thing that I love most about coaching is my interaction with the student athletes and the relationships we build and the impact, the positive impact I could have on them. 
And as a coach, I was able to do that in a, in a hopefully profound way with about 15 student athletes every year. But I realized when I got into administration, I then had the opportunity to impact 300, 400 student athletes to varying degrees, building all sorts of different relationships um, with all of our student athletes. And that was really awesome and something that I really loved about administration. And um, when I had the opportunity to transition solely into administration, I was really excited just because of the opportunity to just get to know and, and hopefully positively affect so many student athletes. So let's let's take a pause here. Let's chat about compliance for a minute. There's obviously a ton of stuff, um, hot topic wise, that's that's happening in college athletics right now. Two of the most um, relevant to what you're doing, I have to imagine, would be uh, the transfer portal and how that's impacted and kind of changed the landscape in the past few years, really, since it became a thing. And then, of course, more recently, NIL. So what's, what's you know, maybe the day-to-day or what are some of the things that, that you've seen um, because of, of those two things? What are some of the changes that have happened to, to the landscape of college athletics? Yeah, you know, the, the transfer portal is something that um, I think it accelerated a process that was already ongoing of student athletes being more interested in transferring. Um, which is totally fine. I mean, students have an opportunity to be able to transfer if they don't um, feel like the decision that they made for their initial school was right for them. Student athletes, there are other factors as well. So I think the opportunity to transfer, um, you know, is important that they have. And, and now getting rid of the, the sitting out and giving more transfer exceptions that student athletes can play right away, I think is important. Um, but I think that's something that's been going on for a long time. The transfer porter just kind of brought it out more into the open, made it a little more accessible. And obviously in sports outside of where I was in men's basketball and football, women's basketball, it's gotten a lot more popular, which, um, you know, I can see both sides of it, you know, from my perspective in administration, my goal is to do what I can to help give my student athletes a great experience, hopefully tie them to the university and, and the athletic department and the team so that they'll they'll want to, they want to stay, they want to get to graduation and they'll want to come back and support us. That, that's a go- That's our goal. And, you know, there's always factors that lead student athletes to leave, even if they're having a great experience, they're not playing enough experience, whatever it might be. But I, I support student athletes making that decision. It's their college experience. It's their four years to play. And they have in their best administrators do explore taking other jobs, other roles. The one thing that does make me nervous is for student athletes, particularly at the division one level, but also at division two is when you go into the transfer portal, you know, almost always you're giving up your rights to your scholarship. And there's so the transfer portal has become so crowded in a lot of sports that there's no longer a guarantee that you're going to be able to get to another spot on another team at that same level of scholarship or opportunity. And I really caution student athletes to really think through it before they make that decision because you know, it, it, I don't want them to feel like it's a case of where they thought the grass would be greener and now they've lost a, an opportunity that's really changed their college experience in a negative way. So I, I think it's really important that we, you know, I always try to talk to my student athletes about the decision, what's important to them. You know, if you talk to your parents or other people that are important to you, make sure that this, you know, is a decision you really thought through because as good, as great as it is that you could have, have a lot of opportunities now to go you might not, or it might not be the opportunities that you're looking for. And I want student athletes to be able to make a a conscious and informed decision before they do that. 
Absolutely. That makes total sense. I think, I mean, from, from my standpoint, right, as a former student athlete and, and somebody who worked in the college athletic space on campus and now kind of in an adjacent role, the transfer portal is, I think, such an important thing that has happened because it does give student athletes the opportunity to choose, right? I get into a situation and realize that, you know, the recruiting talk that I got before I got here doesn't match up with what's actually happening on campus. I should have the right to, you know, go somewhere else and and try to, you know, make the best of what's left of my years of eligibility. I think the the interesting thing for me is kind of the impact that it's having on um, campus administrators in general. And I think so much of the the education piece, right, is is what you're saying that the grass is not always greener, and the education of hey, just because I'm entering you know the portal as a Division One scholarship student athlete doesn't mean that I'm going to get looks or going to get opportunities as a Division One scholarship student athlete, right? Some things. Could could have changed over the years, you know, different, different pieces obviously factor into that. Um, but I think from the administrative standpoint, the, the thing, and really for student athletes too, right. The piece that is the trickiest is being able to certify them for eligibility at a new institution once they get there, because credits do not always match up, right? Like it's not always a, you know, just, okay, these come right in and, and your humanities course at college A is the exact same thing at your, as your humanities course at college B. So I think there's so much to, to be aware of, just as you mentioned, academically, socially, you know, is it a good decision for you as a person, not just for you as, as a student athlete, some of that education is, is, um, I think it just hasn't happened, right? As as kind of recent as the transfer portal has has become. So I'm curious to know: is that something that you're thinking about on your campus? As far as you know, do you need to increase education, um, or for kids who are coming in, what what does that kind of look like? Well, I think it's twofold. You know, I, I always encourage my coaches to be as transparent as possible up front. You know, give your student athlete, your prospective student athletes, as much of a, a look inside of what their experience could be like as possible so that they can make as informed a decision as possible. Ask them questions about what they're looking for. Make sure that it's it's a fit for both uh, and make sure that, they, you know, it's a fit for them at the university, not just within the program, because that's a big factor as well. Uh, you know, and, and then on the flip side of it, you know, again, I think it's incumbent upon coaches and administrators that, you know, to try to get to the root of why a student athlete wants to transfer. You know, sometimes a student athlete wants to transfer for their first year because they didn't play a lot and they're discouraged. Well, let's have a conversation about it. You know, there's a lot that could be gained from sticking it out another year, putting in the work in the summer, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity that coach is going to present you with. So I think there's, there's opportunities for those conversations, um, not in a persuasive way, but just again, just talking through the situation, talking through the decision, um, and, and just letting them know that, again, you have options, but one of your options is to stay here. And it is to try to persevere here. And there's, there's a lot of student athletes that are doing that around the country in, instead of transferring, um, because that's right for them. And that's great. Um, but if it's still the decision to transfer, again, just walking through everything with them. Um, you know, I, in compliance, we always, we always go through everything. We've, we've got a, a checklist that we make sure the student athletes understand. Um, you know, we try to not have them make the decision in our office, go back to your room, think about it, let us know later. There's no rush, um, you know, so that they're making the best decision that they possibly can. 
For sure. How about uh, as far as NIL goes, what kind of, of changes on campus have you seen really since July 1st of, of last year? Is there an NIL, um, has legislation been passed in your state and what has that looked like? Yeah. So, you know, I think NIL is great um, on its, on the surface, um, the opportunities that it creates for student athletes to profit off of their own name and likeness is great. I fully support it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of elements of it that are, are in the best interests of student athletes, but I, again, it comes back to the education piece. You know, there are a lot of different implications um, from signing on to market or brand a product or an organization that student athletes need to be leery of. You know, a lot of them may not have representation who are reviewing contracts. Um, they may not be aware of the implications on their financial aid. Maybe they're Pell eligible and now they've increased their income. You know, the impact that could have on their parents if they're a dependent. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of moving parts here. And I think we have to, as quickly as possible, get the education piece in place. Um, I know one thing we were looking at is, you know, partnering with sports management or business on campus to be able to give our student athletes some of that education. I know there's a lot of different companies, student athletes in that market for university. I just think it's about helping student athletes make the best possible decisions. Um, you know, I'm not somebody who can, who can read their contract for them or know if they're getting a good deal or not. I, I never think that's my role. But it is to kind of make them aware of some of the potential, um, you know, issues that can crop up or make them aware of things that they, don't, they need to think about all the way down to, is this a product or a, an organization that you believe in and want to put your name and image on? Um, and not just thinking about what the, what the benefits are going to be. And then, you know, for our student athletes that are, you know, we've had student athletes who, you know, um, they had a lot of Instagram followers or they had a lot of TikTok followers. So they were able to... Um, generate income that way. Again, just making them aware of the content that they're putting out, what the implications of that are, you know, are they gaining supporters at the expense of, you know, themselves or their name and image. So again, I think it's about educating our student athletes so that they can make the best and most informed, informed decisions for them. I think a lot of times, um, and just as you were saying that, I'm thinking about my own experiences as a student athlete and then as working in athletic departments, a lot of times compliance is seen as like the, the restricting department, right? Like the policing of the college athletics department. Do you feel having served, having be, being somebody that works in compliance, do you feel that way about the role that you're in? Like, do you feel like you're always kind of putting the foot down and saying like, no, we can't do that because X, Y, Z, or no, we can't do this because of this rule. You know, honestly, I rarely say a definitive no. Um, you know, if it's something where I get a question, you know, can I recruit on this date? And I look at the recruiting calendar and it's a dead period, then no, you can't. There's no way around it. But rarely do, do I get a question from a coach or student athlete or a staff member where I you know, go through the process of researching it and come back with a definitive no. Um, you know, I, we might not be able to do it in the way that they wanted, but it's not my job to say yes or no. It's my job to help our, our coaches get to a yes or a version of yes that's within the rules. Um, I don't want to say no to my coaches, staff, or student athletes. Um, you know, sometimes I have to on the specific question they brought me, but I'm always going to try to bring solutions to kind of help them get toward or closer to the space that they wanted to get to with their original idea. Um, so I've never felt that way. I know that's a perception. Uh, other people may approach it differently, uh, but I, I feel like it's my role to support our coaches and student athletes. 
and help them try to get toward you know what their goals are through 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 the rules through compliance in a constructive way um and that's that's always been my approach and um you know i think that 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 perspective and will hopefully kind of change the face of compliance a little bit that it's not about policing the athletic department and looking for mistakes or violations it's about educating people so they they don't have them or they avoid them and also creating a culture where they feel comfortable asking questions before they act because they know that i'm going to try to help them get to a, a resolution that that is best uh best supports them and what they're trying to do that makes sense that makes sense. Okay, so shifting gears here a little bit, somewhere along the way from intramurals to now compliance administrator, you worked on your doctorate, completed your doctorate in educational leadership. I'm curious, as somebody who's in dissertation mode right now, I'm curious to hear uh, what your topic, your dissertation topic was. Yeah, it was um, how Division One, Two, and Three men's basketball coaches perceive themselves as leaders. Um, so basically, I set out to determine, based on what successful coaches did, what the best leadership style and behaviors were for coaches to practice. And like in a lot of dissertations, or at least I hope in a lot of dissertations, I got a lot of answers that were not to the original questions that I was asking, but were even more compelling. Um, and while I found out that there was a leadership style and set of behaviors that um, a majority of successful coaches practiced. What I realized that was even more important aspect of the research was, was that big part of what made coaches successful was that they determined the membership style and behaviors for them to practice. And that really set me off on a different course of research and study I'd initially gone in with. But I feel like it's much more important because it's about you know helping coaches understand their individual leadership practice instead of me telling them, well, here's a great leadership style, go learn how to practice it. It's about cultivating the right leadership style for them and helping them do it, um, which ultimately is going to help them be more successful. We're going to have to talk a little bit more offline uh, about perception and how that weaved into your dissertation, because that's what, what mine involves too, the perception of power uh, of women serving as the senior woman administrator, specifically at division one institution. So we'll have to, we'll have to chat more offline about that, but I'm guessing based on what you just described um, on your topic and kind of about the process as you went through it, that, that, that process and some of the feedback you got is what prompted you to write uh, your book, which is called lead like a pro, would that be accurate? Yeah. You know, I, um, I was putting together my research questions and I had, I had four research questions that I really loved. And one of the members of my committee, uh, he was very, um, he was very, he emphasized the word perception a lot in our committee meetings. He really wanted to dig in on this idea of perception versus reality. And he, he really got me thinking about adding another fifth research question um, where I would determine, are coaches practicing the leadership style? Are they actually practicing the leadership style that they perceive themselves to practice? And I added that question and I didn't think a lot of it because, again, my focus is on, you know, what's the best behavior and styles. Um, and that question ended up uncovering a large gap between and the leadership style coaches thought they were practicing and the ones they were actually practicing. And that's when I realized it's, it's figuring out your own unique leadership practice and how to actually practice it. That is a huge determining factor in whether coaches are successful. And that ended up being the inspiration for the book. That last question, 
to be able to help coaches build their leadership practice in the right way that that aligns with what they believe as a leader. And, um, you know, that, that really ended up being the inspiration for the book, that fifth question that wasn't directly central to my dissertation, but ultimately ended up being really consequential towards, you know, my research and writing moving forward. So were you getting, as you're asking that, uh, what I'm imagining is that you're asking, you know, asking that question or having that kind of a conversation and somebody saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a transformational or I'm a servant leader. And then as they're then describing their leadership practices to you, you're thinking, well, that's not transformational or that's not servant at all. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, that, that is exactly what happened on a survey. Um, you know, coaches read definitions of different leadership styles. They put which one they identified as practicing. And then they took a whole bunch of, they took the survey with a whole bunch of leadership questions that told me what they actually practiced. And there was a, a pretty big gap overall, um, particularly with coaches who were not successful, um, that they had the largest gap. There was a strong correlation there. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I'm going to have to go, uh, go find your dissertation and, and read the rest of it. Now I'm interested to read your book too. Um, okay. So shifting into kind of the final, final, uh, arm of the show, if you will. So, uh, the namesake of the show, uh, the bloom pot, obviously, um, question I always like to ask everybody, what is, is one experience or maybe even a series of experiences that you have had that you feel has helped you bloom into the person you are today? Yeah, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I was fortunate early in my career to kind of bounce around from a few institutions. I worked at four different schools in in five years, and so I was able to work for some very different head coaches. Um, and I was able to kind of be informed by their leadership practice along the way. And you know, what I realized was is that you know there there's always opportunities for learning from other leaders. Um, but that I shouldn't be emulating other leaders because what they do, what makes them successful is ultimately right for them. It's not necessarily right for me. And that took me a long time because like a lot of young coaches, I thought, well, I'm going to look at what my mentors and successful coaches are doing and I'm going to do that. Um, and it really took me a long time to find my voice in coaching. And it really wasn't until uh, I had been in coaching for, for about five or six years when I was at Chicago state where I really started to find my voice or bloom as a coach, where I was comfortable in my kind of coaching skin and my leadership practice to be able to be the coach, you know, act out those coaching behaviors, have the coaching style that I wanted. Um, so what I would say is, you know, it, don't feel like a coach or in any profession, like you have to rush that process. Um, it could happen in a holistic way. It can happen through your experiences. It's not necessarily going to happen overnight. Um, but for me, it took me a while to kind of, I guess in coaching, I'd kind of be almost a late bloomer. It took me a while to kind of find my voice through all of those experiences. But it was kind of each one of those experiences that helped me get closer and closer to where I was eventually able to find it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Final kind of question that I have for you, and then we'll move into the, the quick peel uh, round, if you will. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, best piece of advice that I've received is, uh, my coach at Chicago state, Tracy Dildy, one of my mentors. Um, he told me, and it always stuck with me that you can't expect other people to support you before you've shown a willingness to support them. 
Mm. Um, and you know, we can't complain about people not coming to our games if we're not going to the community and supporting them or supporting the campus. Um, we have to show that willingness to support first. And that, that's just something that always stuck with me and is really foundational to what I believe in administration and, and how I try to act. That makes sense. That's a, that's a good piece of advice for sure. All right. Uh, favorite musician or favorite genre? Oh, I love classic rock and, um, I'm going to give, uh, I love the Beatles, but recently been listening to a lot of Grateful Dead. So I'm going to go, go with that one. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, if your name was associated with one thing, what would you want that one thing to be? Um, that's a great question. The two words that immediately came to mind in my head that I can't choose between are kindness and loyalty. Okay. Also good ones. Uh, favorite vacation spot. Um, the beach, any beach, you know, if it's warm, it's beach, it's Sandy. You can't beat it. <laughs> that's, that's good for me. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, if you could have any job in the world, money aside, you know, anything, everything else aside, what would it be? Uh, NBA commissioner. Ooh. Okay. All right. Okay. Last one. This is a, this is a fill in the blank. Blooming is blank. Growing. Blooming is growing. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join me. I know, like we said, this is, has been a long time on the book, so I'm glad we finally had the chance to do it today. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. You bet. All right. We'll see you next time.